Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. We can have a positive goal of increasing their time spent in these activities that we have known for decades and decades of research are really good for kids. And then if they have sufficient time in those categories of activities, then we can worry a little less about the screen time. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 274. Today, we're talking about why we should delay kids' screen time with Dr. Megan Owens. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. I know I always say that, but I love this podcast and I love connecting with you. If you're new, this is an awesome episode. And if you're returning, rock on. I'm so glad that we get to connect each week. It really makes a huge difference in my life. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Megan Owens, and she's the author of the book, Spoiled Right, Delaying Screens and Giving Children What They Really Need. And she's a parent, a psychologist, and a university professor. I think you're going to find this a really fascinating and interesting conversation. We're going to talk about why screens should be avoided for children under five, and how they're actually kind of necessary to an extent for older kids. Really interesting, right? So there's a big age difference in how we should be treating screen time with kids. So if you have been looking for some clear guidance on screen time, if you have kids under five or over five, in fact, I think you're going to get so much out of this. You know, what Dr. Owens saw in her research and her psychology of how kids are reacting to this. I think this is incredibly valuable information. So I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how some of the negative effects of screen time actually have nothing to do with the screen itself. She's going to share five really important activities for children that support a better relationship with screen time. And for older kids, the teens with the best mental well-being have a moderate amount of screen time. So This is going to be a very valuable episode for you. I know 
I want to let you know that you can see clips of video from this episode as well as short teaching sessions from me over at our Mindful Mama Mentor YouTube channel. So you can just search for Mindful Mama Mentor there or go into the notes wherever you're listening to this. There's a notes section, show notes section that you can click over to and you'll find a link there. It's really valuable because if you hear some parts of this episode that you want to share, you want to share with your partner, people who are watching your kids, if you want to share them on social media, you can grab some short clips of the video and share it really easily. So when you're there, make sure you subscribe so that we can grow our little baby YouTube channel and get this information out to more parents. I think that's all I want to offer you before we dive into this important episode. Come join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Megan Owens. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited to talk to you about um about your book, Spoiled Right. You're 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 definitely this is the perfect time to be talking about screens and kids and all of that with with the pandemic. Um but can you just indulge me a little bit and just tell me what you just told me? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I was just saying before we started recording, because I can never wait to start talking. Um, but before we started recording that, you know, I have read about mindfulness and Buddhism and sometimes even meditated with my kids using little apps for a lot, 10, 15 years. And I have, I'm embarrassed to admit, never regularly meditated myself. Um, sort of like a one-off here or there, you know, like a couple times a month would have been impressive for me. Um, and then Hunter, when I read your book, I think because it, it's not just intellectual, but encourages you to practice after every chapter. And I kind of was one of those people that was like, I'm just going to keep reading, but I actually did practice too. And so I started meditating regularly when I first read your book and I never stopped. Um, and so I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> so happy and it's feeling pretty good, I guess. Yeah. 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 I think the, the thing for me about it is that it's not, you know, I don't stop meditating and something like groundbreaking happens. Like I don't yeah. like just walk into my day, <laughs> like, like, oh, you know, so, so peaceful, but it's like this, this build, I think of it as like this rut in my brain that I'm like building that I can get to this like calm space a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if other people would notice a difference in me, but I notice a difference in myself, I think. Yay. Yay. This is so exciting. All right. Well, we'll stop tooting the horn of my book and we'll talk about your book. <laughs> we can talk about any book. <laughs> Let's talk about all the books. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about this because, you know, I, well, A, because of the current conditions, but, but also because I, I really appreciate how you wrote in your book, like, I'm a therapist, a psychologist, a university professor, and a mother, and, and you can became those things in that order. So you have this background about, about emotions, about psychology, about, you know, teaching others about psychology, and then you became a parent, and then you, you, you encountered, like, the screen time issue. So I would love it if you could kind of just take us back to that story about, you, you know, your, your daughter's uh, challenges and, and, and how she responded to some early screen time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I had that awareness. So I knew what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended and I fully intended to do what they recommended, but I didn't really understand it maybe on a personal basis. Um, and then my first daughter is, she still is a very sensitive child and wicked smart, like too smart for her own good kind of Are thing. you a Rhode Islander? No, no. You just said wicked smart. That's what I said growing up. She's wicked smart. Oh my God. That's amazing. Okay. Sorry. Just go ahead. That's okay. Um, yeah, I know. That's probably not how a psychologist describes children, but that's what I think when I think of her, like that's just what comes to mind for her. Um, and she also had really bad reflux. She had reflux so bad that got missed for too long that she ended up with a feeding refusal. So she was a two, three month old baby that refused to eat at all. Oh. Oh, and then um, we, I actually sleep fed her for six months. So then from like three months to nine months, 
she just thought she didn't eat. <laughs> you oh know, my she gosh. went she went to sleep and woke up kind of um full, but she didn't know the process that got her there. And you know, that sounds really unhealthy and and in most cases it would be, but that was like the alternative to a feeding tube at that point. Mm-hmm. Um and so we had to give her a variety of different medications when she was really young, and some of them had to dissolve in her mouth. Um, and so it wasn't just like, you know, you shoot with a syringe into an infant's mouth or something like mm-hmm. that, but like we had to hold her mouth closed as gently and kindly oh as we could, but not allow her to spit this medication out until it oh. dissolved. And we tried a bunch of different ones and, you know, some of the medications didn't taste good. Plus she had this whole idea that having things in her mouth was what caused her discomfort. And so she really didn't like that even as a young, young infant. Um, and so we turned to a screen. And we would put it on for, you know, like, I think it was Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. I think I still remember the song from this. <laughs> um, and we would put that on for her for just like a minute or two to try. So she would be calm enough that we could give her the medication. Um, and she was like, she could go from fighting you and really upset to like that glazed over like, oh, what is this? Look really, really quick at like five months of age, six months of age. And then she, and that was the only time we used it and she didn't want it turned off. You know, she had Mm. difficulty if we turned it off, she would get really frustrated. And this wasn't like, you know, we weren't sitting her in front of it all morning or anything like that. And it was just really interesting to see the pull that a screen could have over a little itty bitty baby um, of that age. Um, And so I kind of started to dig in more into how the programming is designed and what's going on brain-wise to understand better um, why it was that it had it was hard for her to turn off and why it had this mesmerizing effect on her. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, that sounds like exactly what you should have done, right? Like it's like a very (laughs) useful application tool of screen time. That sounds like an incredibly challenging baby to start off with though. I hope number two was a lot easier and you guys. He was, he was so much easier. (laughs) They're both, they're both wonderful, you know, totally different personalities, but we prepped uh, my oldest daughter, you know, we're like, sometimes babies cry all day you know like we like (laughs) really like she was like whoa why are we doing this you know um and then he came along and he was like meh you know he was just like this super super calm super mellow baby and she's like you guys are really over dramatic you know (laughs) (laughs) well that's good I'm glad for you 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 had it in that order so you could you could be prepared so what did you discover with the research what's what was what is happening in the brain what are some of the effects of screen time on infants and young kids Yeah. So when we're talking about, I really like acronyms. So when I talk about young kids, so under fives, I use the acronym SWAT for SWAT, the screen time, because those are the five big areas where I think we have, you know, the best research um, in terms of some of the negative associations we see with screens. So S stands for sleep. Um, Children who have high amounts of recreational screen time, this means, you know, like for fun, for pleasure. Um, that they go to bed later and that they have a total, um, their total sleep duration is shorter. W is for weight, that there's um, associations in between recreational screen time and weight for kids. A for attention, which is one Overweight, of the ones that I find. I yeah. assume. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thanks for clarifying that. Um, a for attention, which I think is really interesting looking at the ways in which you know, a two, three, four-year-old we think of as generally inattentive, Um, you know, and looking at the ways in which screen time affects their attention. We have uh, experimental and longitudinal research that shows a negative effect of uh, recreational screen time for young kids um, and then their attentional abilities at age seven when they're in school. Um, the second A is for aggression. So kids are great at modeling. Um, that's why your work in terms of helping us to be mindful, right. And to, uh, carefully choose our words, um, is really important because they're watching what we're doing and they are watching what's on screen too. And they tend to attend to the content that is, um, most overwhelming for them in a way, right. Mm -hmm. So if they watch a show and there's there's maybe some aggressive content, but the moral of the show is that, you know, aggression is not good and we shouldn't hit or we shouldn't say unkind things. Kids tend to remember that we hit, right? Or that we say unkind things. And here I'm talking about little kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they just attend to that, it's like, you know, you think about 
um, some of the psychological principles that make people bad eyewitnesses. Like if they see a gun, they only remember the gun, right? They mm. don't remember the person's face. It's kind of the same thing with kids and aggression and content. There was a really interesting study um, of Clifford, the big red dog, where there was a dog with only three legs and the whole, you know, the kids were mean to him and they, they excluded this dog. But in the end, it was like, disabilities are okay. And we should, you know, accept everybody and treat everybody equally. And like the kids who watched it that were too young, so they were four or five, a little younger than the intended audience. They got the opposite message from the program. Oh God. Just so sad. Right. Oh, Cause they man. just attend, they just attended to that time that was really salient for them when the kids were being mean, you know? And so that like, they couldn't connect to the beginning, middle and end of the show when they were too little for the show. Um, and they're then almost the, like, they're almost like modeling. Like, it's like the brain is, you know, the most developed part of the brain when you're born, right. Is your, is your, um, stress response system. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's the only fully developed whole system in the brain. So like that part of the brain that's looking out for threats is fully developed and is like, Oh, a threat. Right. And so then, then that's the thing that's really sticking. Sounds like, yeah. 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 And then they're just, they're just not paying attention at the end okay. when everybody's like calmly getting a message, right? They're like somewhere else. Right. Okay. Um, and then the T is for talking. So there's a connection in between screen time and young children and language acquisition. So a really interesting study that showed, you know, for each 30 minute increase they had with a handheld device, like a parent's cell phone or an iPad, um, that toddlers, uh, were 49% more likely to have a language delay. Um, and so, you know, kids learn talking through, there's been a lot of efforts to teach kids talk, you know, language through videos. Those companies have been sued and lost and they just do not learn language through videos and anything that says your kid is going to learn language by watching and engaging with a program. That's, that's just not the case. They get it from human interaction. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have, and he's done some things for it. But recently, he started using Nutrafol, and oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about and going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over one million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. 
For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code MINDFULPARENTING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code MINDFULPARENTING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code MINDFULPARENTING. They're sleeping less. That's so huge because of the whole, the way your your brain learns. And, and that can lead to learning deficiencies and just things like that. I know that my own daughter had like a sleep, sleep apnea. And when mm. we get, finally got her tonsils out, then her that's when her reading went crazy. You know, it's like, oh, now she could sleep the whole night through. And then she right. started to read and read and read and read and read. It was pretty amazing. Um, so weight, attention, aggression, and talking. So I guess as you were like looking into this, you started to say, oh, crap, <laughs> what have I done to my child, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we stopped really quick with what we were doing. And, um, and I should say that if there are parents listening whose kids have some sort of a medical issue and they use screen times ju- judiciously to help the child with a treatment of some sort, that that is not considered, you know, a, a bad use of screen time, right? But, yeah. um, you know, but for us, it was like, wait a minute, let's, let's back up and let's see if we can help her you know, understand that we have to do this in a more respectful fashion um, that isn't just kind of distracting her from it, but is trying to loop her into what we're doing. And maybe it won't be as easy for us in the beginning, but maybe that means that it'll be more meaningful for her in the long run, right? That we don't do things to her, but we try to do them with her, you know, and that sounds silly for a six month old, but it, it really is a different perspective that was meaningful for us. No, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, it's like you you can do those things with a six month old. You just, you start to say it all out loud. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to take off your diaper now. Does this feel okay? You know, I think all that kind of modeling that respectful language, even if they're not getting all of it and et cetera, that's, that that's how you start, right? That's how you start to learn and practice those things. And that's how kids start to get those expectations. Yeah. how they'll be treated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we stopped pretty quick. Um, and, and then she didn't have any screen time to, and we got to two. Um, and mm-hmm. here I had started digging, you know, I had really been involved in digging into the research and, and doing some writing and things. Um, and we looked at her and we're like, now she's two in one day. So now she, at the time, you know, then it was like, that was the switch to one hour in the, in the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, policy statement. We were like, why, why would we do one hour of screen time a day at this point? Um, and so we decided to keep going and to keep her, you know, totally screen-free as long as possible. She's nine now and her brother is six. And I really believe in keeping the kids, delaying it as long as you can based on your family circumstances, but definitely till age five. Um, and so both of them were totally screen-free through to age five, which is much easier than, you know, kids your age, Hunter, you know, that's just not an option, but the thing is, it is easier to keep them screen-free. So if you can do that, um, if you can put a little effort up front, it, it is much easier and there will be plenty of time later when they have to be introduced to screens for a variety of things. Yeah, I'm so with you. And I was so frustrated with my husband, who's a computer programmer, who what, who's like, oh, she's two, like she's two and a half. Like, let's get her start on some early like programming kind <laughs> of things. And she he got her. And I was like, okay, fine. And I was sort of arguing this sort of other side. Um, but I'm I'm really with you in that, you know, that we we limited our kids' screen time a lot more than most other kids, maybe less Mm -hmm. than some people. Um, And we got to see so much, so much creative play. And, and now is a whole different story now (laughs) than they're 11 and 14 and we're in a pandemic and it's, it's a totally different story, but this is really different. Like what you're advocating is really, really different from what's happening for most kids, right? Like, do you, do you know what kind of the statistics are for most kids now? Cause I mean, I see that all the time, a kid in a stroller who's too Mm -hmm. young to like go walk 
holding a phone and watching the phone while they're walking outside. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hmm, like I just, you know, but, but this is, this is the, this is the lay of the land these days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so some of that, I mean, we have, we run a, my husband and I together run a website called screenfreeparenting.com where we're just trying to be um, as loud and trendy as we can to get, <laughs> to fight with the technology companies who are really pushing parents and pushing kids to do it younger and younger and younger. And I, and I do feel for parents in that most parents introduce it thinking that um, it is something that is good or healthy for their child, right? So they don't want their kids to be left behind. They want help teaching colors or numbers. Um, and then once they introduce it, they realize that it's like a really messy playground where like nothing is designed appropriately for their child. And they're like running around trying to save them from, you know, the climbing structure that's way too big for them. And, you know, it's just persuasive design runs so rampant in children's applications and games and programs that then you have a kid who has no emotion regulation because they're two. And so they just don't, they don't come with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they want more and more and more of it. And it mm -hmm. ends up, the parent ends up in this crazy power struggle where they are set up to lose because the programming has been designed so that the kid will want more of it. So how did you guys, you and your husband, how did you limit the screen time or basically have not much screen time at all? Very, very limited screen time before the age of five, assuming that you watch some Netflix now and then on your own, yeah. like, how did you do that yourself? Do you, you know, what, what did, what were some of the strategies you did? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, where I still try to be, one thing that I have totally failed at during the pandemic is we were really conscious, we both work full time, really conscious about the work that we did in front of our kids with a screen um, and really conscious of our own phone use and kind of thinking ahead to like, when they're teenagers, this is what we're going to want them to do with the phone that they might have. And so we need to do that now. Like, let's, let's be really um, intentional and respectful about our use of technology. And then the pandemic hit and there's like, we're just like all over the house supervising while also in meetings and teaching classes. And um, so we're, you know, initially I would have students hand things in on paper so I could grade on paper while I was also supervising the kids so that they could understand better what I was doing. Mm. Um, you know, so it wasn't like this confusing black box that pulls me in kind of thing. Right. But they could mm -hmm. understand like students write things and, and mom reads them um, and they give them feedback and they could see that and be like, okay, that's totally boring. I'm going to go back to the Ford I was making. Um, but in terms of our own recreational screen time, we do things, uh, you know, similar to you, we have a screen free day a week and it is so restorative. It feels like there's extra hours in the day there. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Um, and we would, you know, if we were going to have some Netflix or like something we were going to do with screens for fun. We would do that after our kids went to bed, you know, sleep is so important for kids. And so they were in bed by seven, seven 30. And that gave us plenty of time. Um, if we wanted to do something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds really, really pretty reasonable. I mean, especially considering, um, you know, considering the negative side effects that we're seeing I, in that whole image of like that kind of like hypnotized toddler just staring into space and you talk about you you describe a, a situation and I think it's like the first chapter where you know that it's like this uh someone a, a, ch a child like kind of like hypnotized completely wrapped during a 74 minute presentation <laughs> of, of children's songs and it's like uh for like a I don't know 20 month old yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's frightening because that's not what kids are supposed to do, right? They're not supposed to be completely wrapped for 74 minutes. No, no, there is something wrong there, right? Like if your kid is sitting silent, glazed over, not realizing they're hungry or tired or something like that for 74 minutes at 20 months of age, there's a problem there. But that wasn't an in description. That was a re description of a child who was watching a YouTube video of um, songs, baby songs, um, and it could have been any content because it was really just flashing constant screen shifts, which is some of the worst kinds of screen time. And that's what I mean by, you know, this playground equipment that wasn't meant for them. You know, it wasn't, they didn't look at a child and think about what does a kid need, which is what some high quality program, 
mean, was designed that way. I mean, Sesame Street was designed that way, looking at children, looking at um, educational gaps of kids in kindergarten and figuring out how could we use media to help with that. Lots of children's programming um, now is designed for how can I loop them in and make them look at my thing the longest so that I have the most ad revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's like no thought about what would be good for this kid. Sesame Street had built-in breaks to it of like that were encouraging the kids to get up and leave and go outside and start a conversation and things like that. And and the program is exactly opposite that now, right? It's encouraging your kid to watch it and not realize that the sun has risen and is starting to set. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. It's amazing. It's like the attention economy. And now I think of like my 14 year old on TikTok, which is like, apparently my husband, he signed, he got onto TikTok for a little while, just experience it. He felt like he said, he said he felt like his, it hurt his brain after a while. Like his attention was scrambled as an adult. And I'm like, oh man, TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. But this is the same kid that, you know, she, yeah, we had this, this green free life. And, and I would like to just, I want to kind of segue into that question of like, what, you know, okay. So you didn't have screens, you didn't have their hour screen time every day, you know, between the ages of two and five. So what did your kids do? Right. And, and that's the question that, that we get uh, that I've gotten a lot, but I'm really interested to hear about your answer. Like what happened with that? Yeah. Yeah. So what I talk about in the book is that, um, you know, we see all these negative associations, that sort of SWAT acronym we just went over with uh, little kids and screen time. And there's two major theories about why we have those negative associations. So one theory that I think has really gotten disproportionate attention says that it's due to the content like that video on YouTube has fast, rapid screen shifts, and that's causing attention problems later on, or the the content in Clifford the Big Red Dog is developmentally inappropriate. And so if that's the problem, then we keep telling parents, watch with your kids, check ratings, play with your kids, you know, do all these things to like check out, make sure the content is great. But there's another theory, and that's the displacement theory, which says that some of the negative effects of screen time might have nothing to do with the screen time itself. Your kid might be watching like beautiful nature documentaries, you know, or or whatever, right? Um, But like water in a bathtub, as they fill up their day with more of that, there's less time for these things that are really good for physical and psychological development of children. Um, And so it's the loss of those activities that is driving 
some of these negative effects. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's the case, that's confusing as a parent, because now you have to orient not only to, you know, what your kid is doing, but also to what your kid is not doing. And you don't really know mm -hmm. the answer to that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the positive thing about displacement is that it gives us an in, like we can have a positive goal of increasing their time spent in these activities that we have known for decades and decades of research are really good for kids. Um, and then if they have sufficient time in those categories of activities, then we can worry a little less about the screen time because we know it's not displacing the things that are really key for their cognitive, emotional, physical development. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that. And I like, I like how you talk about that too, because you're right. Like, you know, you mentioned that, you know, like kind of like weight loss, like we're, we don't do well yes. when we say, don't do this, or you have to be restricted in this. And like, we all hate to be restricted. Everyone, all human beings at every age hate to be yes. restricted. And so instead with the displacement theory, you're saying like, <clears throat> instead, like, let's focus on what we do want to do with that time, how we can fill that time. So let's, let's get to like the idea of maybe the pandemic later. Let's imagine an, a non-pandemic world. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's are, wonderful. It'll happen someday. What, what are the things that, what are, what are we, what are we wanting to do with our kids that the yeah. screen time is displ displacing? Yeah. So I, as I was digging into the research, I was looking at these things that are really good for kids. And I was also looking at the things, the activities of childhood that have an inverse relationship with screen time, meaning as screen time goes up, the time that children spend in these activities goes down. Um, and so the cool thing about that is that maybe as the activity time spent in those activities goes up, screen time will go down. Um, and so the five activities, it's another acronym and the acronym is SPOIL, which is the title of the book, Spoiled Right. Um, and it stands for S is for social, face-to-face -face social interactions, play, um, where children are learning, cooperation, competition, perspective taking, all those things. The P in SPOIL is for play, free play. Um, that is you know freely chosen by the child and self-directed. O is for outdoor time. I mean, you, you can't read the chapter on outdoor without like throwing the book in the corner and running outside because it's just so good for your kids. We see an impact and, and the opposite effects of screen time, right? Like we see an, an inverse relationship in between total sleep and screen time. The more screens kids are engaged with, the less sleep they have. The more time they have outside, the more sleep they have, right? So like it, it really counteracts some of these negative effects. So time outdoors, um, the I stands for independent work, like chores, things that your child kind of has to put aside their immediate interest in pursuit of a long-term goal. So that could be chores, that could be schoolwork as they get older. Um, and then the L in SPOIL stands for literacy-based activities, reading, being read to, listening to an audio book, paging through a book um, and looking at pictures as a pre-reader, um, that those are the five activities that are, seem to be really kind of losing out to screen time and some other cultural things um, and that are really, really good for kids and have the opposite effect of screen time. You know, time outdoors, reading, play, they all build attention skills. So if we're worried about the impact of attention on our you know, screens, on our children's attention, we can increase their time spent in these activities and hope that it's at least leveling things out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the this is the thing that gives me hope for like this past year with my children and their remote learning and their all no access to friends except for on Minecraft. Um, that at least for like the first nine plus yeah. years, ten plus years, they had so much outdoor time, so yeah. much free play time, so much creative play time, social free, you know, all of those things that are shown the human development. I mean, this is just like what humans need, right? Like kid, yeah. human kids need, young kids need free play, outdoor time. We all need outdoor time mm -hmm. doing chores. Can we dive into a little bit more of these? Which one is your favorite one to dive into first? <laughs> hmm. I don't know, um, but I will, I do wanna say that you are right, that you should feel a little bit better with like the <laughs> pandemic induced crazy screen time of everybody um, because there there is research to show that, you know, screen time habits and rules in the family when the children are young are predictive of problematic um, media use later when the kids are older. And so it, it does help to kind of set that foundation, 
even though things maybe might feel a little more chaotic and out of control as they need it for school or they need it for some socialization aspects because they have that grounding in how to socialize, how to direct their day, how to direct their attention prior to having got the screen. And that's really different than a child who um, didn't get to have that experience. So I, so I do think that you should feel good about that. Good. Good. Thank, thank you, Megan. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like those are like zero to five. These are yeah. incredibly prime brain development years, like psychological development, emotional development, yeah. development of everything. Our kids are, you know, human beings are so immature and underdeveloped yeah. when we're born compared to every other mammal or animal yeah. in the world. Right. So like yeah. these, these years are incredibly important. Now I'm worried that the listener who has a child yeah. who's age four and is saying, Oh my God, Megan and Hunter, like that sounds great. And I agree with you and everything, but this past year has mm -hmm. been what it has been. And, and do you have any steps for helping people walk it back if yeah. it's gone too far? Because that's the hardest thing is like creating those boundaries and, and, and having healthy boundaries. And I want to ask you about, I'm curious about, I have a friend who has kids who are all 10 and older Okay. Who has started to make a take a more screen neutral approach, like no restriction, kind of in the house, and I'm I'm curious if you've heard anything about that. I'm just totally curious about that. So those it's one question, then the second question, I guess. Yeah. How can we walk it back? Let's go yeah. there. So how to walk it back? Um, for little kids and for older kids, I would have two different answers. So let's assume that the kids are under the age of five. So they're little and they don't need it for socialization, right? Because, you know, a, a 13 or 14 year old um, does maybe need it for socialization. I, I will get behind the, in the 13 year old corner and say like, yeah. She's kind of right a little and research um, supports that idea, but, but our little ones, they really don't. <laughs> um, so I really recommend, you know, participating in a really fun week, like a campaign for commercial free childhood screen free week, which is coming up um, and talking to your kids about it ahead of time and saying, Hey, you know, in the pandemic, we've all, you know, mommy, daddy, everybody has gotten really had a lot of fun on their screens um, more than we usually do. And for this one week, we're going to take a break and we're going to try to remember all those things that we really like to do instead and really fill that week with fun stuff and ask them what kind of things they would like to do. You know, if you can pick up more audiobooks from the library, try to think through some of the tough times in your household, if it's, you know, in the morning or if it's in the evening, if it's dinner time, whatever it is, and what you're going to put in place there. And I have some, some good ideas for that in the book, as well as on our website. Um, and you want to try with little kids, you know, a, a span of time, a week would be great where they don't have screens as a part of their regular day and see how things lay out, you know, cause it, it can be hard to figure out what impact it's having on their sleep or what impact it's having on their play. Um, when it's such a prominent thing for them. And then after you take a little break, it can be easier to prioritize like the spoil categories while also having, you know, some screen time that is at an appropriate time for your family with an appropriate content. Um, so that's how I would walk it back. Um, then you asked the question about the person with no limits. Um, and I think it's probably going to depend a lot on the individual child. So we've talked a lot about research wise, you know, like what is the the tipping point. What is the number of hours where screen time becomes problematic? That's almost always a question that parents have. And research has found, you know, like a range. Um, however, it is really child dependent. So you might have kids that are at the low end of that range that are showing what we would call problematic media habits. And there's a validated scale for that. So they're like at the low end and they're having trouble verbalizing about anything other than the game they're playing and they're having a really hard time turning it off. They're thinking about it more and more. They're sneaking it. It's causing fights in the family. Like those are all signs that is problematic for them. And then you might have a kid at the high end who has like no issues whatsoever and they're still outside and they're still sleeping great. And so there's, there's some differences there in how mm. it's going to impact different kids. Right. And so, but it is like a what I kind of come back to is that uh, when I get uh, where I get confused about this is that it's not like, it's not like, uh, it, it, it's addictive, right? I mean, this, it's, it has all that persuasive, 
you know, psychology behind it to make it addictive, like more so than, you know, reading, even reading Harry Potter is as addictive as Harry Potter is with all those cliffhangers. But right. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's right. what I get hung up on as I think about that idea. Yes. Yes. So, and the thing is that Harry Potter ends too. I mean, maybe it doesn't yeah. feel like it if you're reading it aloud to your kid <laughs> um, and you're falling asleep while you do it, but it's a really good book, but you know, parents are tired um, and the books are long, but um, you know, it does, it does have an end point. And then the kid moves on to something else. The thing is that the internet and children's programming and game, like there is no end, you know, like they could do it forever and it would never, they would never get to the bottom of it. And that's something that like most parents, we didn't experience as kids. Cause there was, there was no internet when I was a kid um, and there was TV, but it was self-limiting because there was, it was only child appropriate at certain times, you know, yeah, like, and like then Saturday morning. And then it was Three's Company after school, which was yeah. like so child appropriate, but I watched it anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. I went, yeah, I remember that too. But, you know, and so like eventually there was nothing on for us to watch. Like if we stayed True. up too late, then you were watching an infomercial and you were like, what am I, what, do I want that? What is this? Do, do what, I is want this a real... 40 CDs of classic rock? No, I don't. Right, right. And so I was like, this is, I'm, I'm actually tired. I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed. Right. And so that, that will never happen to our kids on the internet. That's like it true. never gets boring. Um, and so it really requires the parents to do so much more work than parents of previous generations did in creating those boundaries um, around the screen time. And so maybe you have a kid who is just real easygoing, um, doesn't have problematic media habits, um, and they're able to turn it off and good for them. But that doesn't mean that that parent or that kid is doing anything better than the parent of the kid who really can't turn it Mm. off. Okay. Um, because of persuasive design, because it was designed that way for the kid to not turn it off, for them to feel like they're going to die. They're going to miss out on something. They're going Mm -hmm. to, you know, these are all psychological phenomenon that we're now studying. We're studying FOMO or fear of missing out in teenagers. Like it's a real thing. It's linked with anxiety and depression. You know, it's research wise, it's a real thing. And it's a real thing because it was created to be a real thing. Because if they could induce those feelings and that teenage girl or boy, they could get them to log back on. They could trigger them to log back on and tunnel them back in and spend more time. And they would, their, their products, you know, Merch. value. The YouTubers, my, so, Will, mom, Wilbur is going live doing blah, blah, blah right now. Right? And I'm like, isn't it recorded? Like, can't you just watch it later? Like, why do you have to go right now to do this thing? Like, I, I hear that for sure. And, yeah. you know, following the Minecraft YouTubers in my house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's unfair to the kids and it's unfair to the parents. Um, and the spoil system is a way of trying to say, hmm. Whoa, <laughs> like mm-hmm. deep breath. These are the things that really matter. So you don't have to get media whiplash from every study because it's going to take decades to figure out all the ways in which it's problematic and all the ways in which it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can focus more on the things that are really good for kids and families. And then maybe worry a little less when they like are feel like they need to run to YouTube immediately to watch that video because you know that they spent time outside and you know that they've been reading and you know that they've been playing with a friend and talking to you and like had all these positive experiences that are necessary for their development. It's not infiltrating those things. If you can keep it, if you can Mm. prioritize those and not let them get edged out, then you can worry a little less. This is, this is very helpful. I love this. So parents of young kids, (laughs) reduce the screen time as much as you can fill it it with that good time. I love the idea of kind of a detox week. I can imagine some challenging conversations between parenting partners about this because it's not like a real fun thing. It's kind of like your dryuary for some parents, like, "Mm, do I really want to do that? Um, and, um, but I I think that's a great idea. This when, when is the screen-free week? What, what week is it every year? I used to remember it was like a... I think it's May 3rd, but I will feel terrible because I work with a campaign for commercial free childhood a lot. They're a great organization. You can sign up on their website. They It's CCFC, the campaign for commercial free childhood, and they'll send you like a kit 
on their nonprofit. They'll send you like a kit with ideas and things like that. And they have um, information for schools that want to promote it and participate in Screen Free Week and ways to integrate it with the curriculum and all those sorts of things. But it's coming up and I want to say it's early May, but I could be totally wrong. And I'm sorry if I am. That's okay. That's okay. So um, now what, um, what do you think about older kids that selfishly I'm asking, yeah. what do you think about older kids and, you know, the world we're current, currently living in this spring slash summer of 2021, where we're remote learning, you know, the only way to see friends, some friends is on the, is, you know, p- playing Minecraft and talking to yeah. each other. Um, and, um, do you have any advice for us who are struggling in that situation with some older kids? Yeah. So first I have a great deal of empathy because, um, screen free is help for little kids is held up as it's like this, you know, some sort of like crazy ideal that really involved parents do. And I think it's actually in my perspective, it's just like the lazier choice, you know, like I remember at like three, it was like, I can co-view a program with you. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to watch, you know, if I'm going to sit with you, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to do something that, you know, you can learn to do later on your own to entertain yourself. So like it's, it's way the lazier version and yet it's good for your kid. Now, I want to interject because I just wanted for the parents who are like, oh, it's easier. I have to back you up, Megan, because it is. You just say mm-hmm. there's something to do is right around the corner. Some yep. Kim Payne said that something to do is right around the corner. You have some open-ended toys around. You don't have to have a lot. You just kick them outside if you have a backyard, yep. if you're lucky enough to have that. But but you don't have to be your kids. Um, we're not saying be your kid's entertainer. Megan is no. not saying be your kid's entertainer. They can do that. They It will be like maybe five or 10 minutes of painful whining. Mm-hmm. And all you say is something does right around the corner you become more boring than whatever it is around your house. And, and it is, it's, it's not that hard. Sorry. Yep. Just, I want to no, back I'm, you up there. <laughs> I'm glad you highlighted that because I also think the parents that come to me and are like, Oh my God, how do you do how I could never do that. I could, I would never be able to shower. I would never be able to do this. I would, they're, dealing with a problem that the screen created that only the screen can solve. Um, and because, you know, it, every time their child maybe had to deal with some negative emotion, like mom's in the shower, mom said, no, mom won't do this for me or dad or whomever. Um, they were, ha- they, they had access to a screen. And so they actually never dealt with any of those negative emotions because the screen can totally distract them from it and they don't know that they have to feel it. And so when you take away the screen for that kid who's had it for a while, like boredom does feel worse than it does for a kid who hasn't had it because they don't have all those little micro dose exposures to it. Um, And so that parent says like, my kid would lose it if I tried to make dinner, if I tried to take a shower, if I tried to have a meeting. Um, But the thing is that over time when they're exposed to, you know, the next great thing is right around the corner. You've got lots of toys. I'm busy right now, but I'll be with you in a, you know, 15 minutes when I'm out of the shower or whatever it is. Then they they have to deal with that over time and they get used to it. That and emotion regulation builds. Now I'm not saying like we want to make our kids miserable, but we do want our children to be exposed to things like frustration and boredom um, and to know that they can get through it. The message is not like I want you to be frustrated, but you're frustrated. That's a human thing. And I know that you're going to get through it and I'll be here. Um, and we're, we all deal with frustration over time. Again, not something our parents had to deal with. Cause like, if I wanted a lollipop in the grocery store and my mom said, no, there was no like magical device that was going to sing to me and change colors and like, make me feel better about it. Like I just had to deal with it and like be mad at my mom, you know? Um, but that was good. And, you know, so over time, your kid will develop this capacity for self-directed play, um, as they get exposed to it in little doses. We, that's how we all did it. We all got exposed in little doses to not having somebody's attention 24 seven. Um, and we learned how to direct our own day and then it get and then it is so easy once they have had some exposure to that because they are busy and they know where the limit is. Yeah. Yeah. The, I love that, that detox week. Okay. So it's not as hard as you think parents of younger yes. kids. Now parents of okay. older kids, parents of older kids. Okay. So those parents get a big dose of empathy for me because research shows um, what you know, which is that, you know, those, those 
kids aren't that are screen free and 14, they're not really doing so good. Okay. So there's sort of this U-shaped curve with screen time and mental well-being um, that the kids with no screen time are not doing very mm. well. And the kids with too much screen time are not doing very well. And the kids who have a moderate amount, they're the ones that are doing the best. Um, and so you don't get to do the super easy thing and just be like, oh, just we just don't do that in our house, right? Um, you have to parent in the middle, which is harder. Um, but going along the research, you do have to have some limits if your kid doesn't seem to be able to find them on their own, right? Which is um, most kids, I know. Yeah, which is which because is most, it's most kids. human beings. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if we didn't have to work and and. I don't know, you know, like th- how many people would just be watching we just get lost. Bridgerton yeah. for seven hours? <laughs> yeah, we just get totally lost in it. Um, it never ends. It's amazing. It never ends. So, um, you know, you have to kind of parent in the middle and you have to be the one to place the limits because the screens come with no limit. There is no end to them. Um And, but I do recommend that you can do the same thing, the same spoil system by sitting down and talking with your kids about what do they want to do more of? Like, how can you turn this into a positive thing? Instead of it being, you get two hours and you don't get any more and we're going to turn it off. Mm -hmm. Like sitting down and saying, what are the things that you haven't gotten to do of? What What are the things you want to do more of? And creating a list as a family and then really showing up to try to increase time spent in those activities as a family to incidentally reduce the screen time. Because what what you referred to at the beginning, Hunter, is my favorite research study, which is those positive versus negative goals. They had families where there was one obese parent, um, which is a predictor for the childhood obesity, and they broke them into two groups. And one group got a diet plan to avoid high fat, high sugar foods. So they got this negative goal, right? That's like cut the screen time, only do two hours, whatever. Um, And then the other group, they didn't talk to them about high fat, high sugar foods at all, but instead they got a nutrition plan to increase fruits and vegetables. And they followed them for a year. And the families that had lost more weight were the fruit and vegetable families. Um, They had increased their fruit and vegetable intake. They had cut high fat, high sugar foods without being told to, because as they ate more fruits and vegetables, they just had less space for them. Um, And so this idea of focusing on avoidance and limits, we have limited willpower and only last for so long. And so Mm. if we can kind of flip, it's the same conversation, but it is a different perspective. And so if we can talk to our teens about what they want to do more of, Mm -hmm. and that's not, you know, more time on the screen, Um, you know, and, and we can show up and help them with those things and we can help them see the good experiences that maybe take a little more effort. You know, teens Mm -hmm. can get together for something like a baseball game, socially distanced and masked. It was like impossible for a four-year-old to have a socially distanced masked play date. Like I've done that, you know, like they're like, what? Six feet away. Like, no, what what am I supposed to talk to him about? What, what, what he's read? What are you saying? You know, like they just want to play and like get in each other's faces. Like we're like teens, like they want to talk. Um, And so you can get together outside and you can sit outside masked and just like, there's ways to get teens together that is harder than just allowing them to do it on their phones, but it will also result in them having more fun and feeling better. And so it'll be self-reinforcing. So just like we need to like show them the good books and, you know, help them understand the good foods. We need to show them the meaningful ways um, to really get their social needs met and things like that. Mm. This is so, so helpful, Megan. I, I really, really appreciate it. It's making me think like my teen and I, she's in Scouts BSA. She's in yeah. a, a girl's troop of the Boy Scouts. And we went on an ice hike. I never would have planned something like that or done something like that. Um, and I was so happy we finally did it, you know, like it, it, like we did it. It was amazing. And it was safe and wonderful and and all this stuff, but I love that. So what do you want to do more of? That's great. Okay. Megan, I could probably talk to you about longer. There's so much (laughs) to say, obviously, but, um, listener definitely check out Megan's book spoiled, right. You know, check out the screenfreeparenting.com. So much great information there. And yeah, I believe in this, you know, it's like, it really, what do you know? Yeah, we need to walk the middle path. And right now our culture is pointing us to so much excess mm-hmm. and distraction and which is really harmful for our, our minds and our hearts ultimately, right? Nobody's yeah. going to look back and say, oh, that one hour of screen of TV, that was like one of the best times in my life. No one's going to do that, right? <laughs> like that was, so anyway, um, Megan, 
Is there anything that we missed that you want to leave the, the view, the listener with, and, and, and also, you know, any, any other places you, you want them to reach out and find you? No, no, you can find us there. You can find us on Facebook. Um, the book has for each of the categories, all the research on them. And then I think like 20 to 25 different ideas for each category to get you started. Um, so if you have a, a child and you're not sure how to get started, we give you a bunch of ideas and you're, you like Hunter said, you have the ideas in the beginning as you're helping a child, maybe wean or decrease the time they're spending on a, on a screen and then they take off right? And, and you don't really have to do much. You don't have to entertain them all the time. They will, they will be able to entertain themselves. Thank you so much, Megan, for sharing this research and all these incredible ideas and doing the work that you're doing to, uh, to, to help us all in this, this area. I think it's, it's really, really important. I can't wait to give away the wonderful two copies of the book that have of yours to some people who can use it. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Hunter. Thanks for having me. I am so on board with Megan's campaign to reclaim some of the time our kids are dedicating to their screens, especially now post-pandemic. I think that we can start to be more intentional, hopefully, about the way it's can take over our kids' lives. So I hope you found this episode valuable. If you did, you know, it really makes a huge difference to me when you let me know. I, I love seeing the screenshots. You can take a screenshot of where you're listening to this and share it with me. I'm at Mindful Mama Mentor on Instagram and let me know what takeaways you're getting from this awesome interview with Dr. Megan. This is such an important issue. And remember, we have clips from this episode over at YouTube. So we pull out like five minute clips. So if you want to share some short bits of this with people in your life, with social media, that is a really great way to do it. And of course, when you're over there, be sure to subscribe so that we can grow our little baby channel too. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm so glad to be connecting with you. We're moving into spring in my life and it's beautiful here in Delaware. And I've been able to see some amazing things recently. I got to see a baby horse born in the middle of the night. And I'm just feeling really grateful for that. Really grateful for my vaccine and my my tax dollars paying for that vaccine. Thank you. And I hope that you are seeing some light after our long winter as well, wherever you are. And maybe that's just in your personal world and, and not in, in your country yet, but I hope you're seeing some of the, some light in your world. And I can't wait to connect with you again next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you sharing your time and spending this time with me here. It's, it's awesome. So glad we can connect. And I wish you a wonderful, peaceful week and less stress, more joy, all that good stuff. Take care. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this you can continue in your old habits that aren't working, or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and 
punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.